Okay, so what I should ask right now is, like, what's my range of travel up here? Like, how far can I go to the east and the west and still be, you know, on television? Because I'm, I'm a little bit, of, I'm getting the, we have no idea. So we're going to test the boundaries this morning. Uh, so it is good to be with you. This is the first time in over three years, about, it's been about three and a half years, not since I've preached at all, but this is the first time in three and a half years that I've preached for a church that I belong to. And so this is really meaningful for me. It's, it's good to be presenting the word of God to people that I love and care about. Um, so thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Uh, let, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that you've gathered these people here today. We thank you for the miracles of electronics that allow there to also be live streaming. So we thank you for that. Father, we pray that you would bless and keep us in 2022 as you have in 2021, even though at times, honestly, it was hard to see. So Father, be with us now. Open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to receive the good news of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. So, happy new year. Happy 2022 to everyone. How is it going so far? Good, bad, indifferent, okay. So for us, 2021, uh, there was a lot to celebrate in 2021. A lot of new things. We had a new grandchild, our first grandchild. And those of you who are grandparents know that this is awesome. You get to do all the great parts of being a parent, and then you get to pick and choose the parts that aren't amazing and involve yourself as much as you want or as little as you want, and it's totally okay. So we have a new grandchild. Uh, we have a new house. We, my wife and I moved uh, from Washington, D.C. in February. We lived right smack next to the uh, zoo. And we moved to a beautiful place uh, just outside of, of Warrington where there's a number of other people that live near us. We've got woods and deer and squirrels and trees. It's awesome. I do kind of miss the fact that the, you know, I, miss, I miss hearing sirens going by my house like every 20 minutes. It, it took a while for me to get used to the fact that that doesn't happen here. Uh, so we have a new house. Uh, and there's a new ministry um, as, as um, Kevin said, we started a new ministry back in October called Faithful Presence. We are primarily concerned with ministering to people who lead and serve in Washington and offering them whole life discipleship for the whole of life in the whole of Washington through spiritual, emotional, relational, vocational, ideological, cultural, and missional discipleship that is a ton of information. There might be a little flyer in your um, things if you want to know more about it. There's also some prayer cards outside. So a lot of new things. It's very exciting. But here's the thing. Honestly, the bar for 2022 being better than 2021 is super low for our family. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you just barely have to lift your leg to get over it. There's COVID, which we've all been dealing with this year, which has not been enjoyable. 
And my wife and I were super excited to travel out to see our brand new grandchild be born. And um, we got up in the morning early. We woke up. My wife got a phone call from her mom saying that her dad had passed away on our way to the airport. We're trying to deal with this. We got to uh, arrived where my daughter was having her baby. And the next morning we woke up and we got a phone call that said, you need to come to the hospital right away because we need to do an emergency C-section. And there's nothing like waiting for your grandchild to be born and then seeing the helicopter show up from the children's hospital and the team come in and then the team leave in an incubator with a respirator and the whole thing and then put your grandchild on a helicopter and fly away and have a nurse say, you should probably leave now. We don't know if he'll live. He's fine. He's miraculous. Um, Right before Thanksgiving, we found out that my uh, wife's mother has been diagnosed with cancer. Stage zero or one, so we're very thankful for that. Also, right before Thanksgiving, I found out that my third cousin has succumbed to uh, alcoholism and died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. I never thought I would leave ministry to state. I thought that would be, this would be the last job I ever had. And in the fall, we had several discussions and it became clear that I needed to resign and start something else. It's just not been awesome. My dad, uh, my mother's second husband, legally adopted me last year. And then this year, I repaid the favor by moving him into assisted living because he's now struggling with dementia. I just, I honestly cannot, I'm thrilled that 2021 is over. Because I literally just, you know, there's a scene in, in, in one of the Rockies uh, where the guy on the side is just screaming, throw the towel, throw in the towel. And I felt like this at the end of 21. I'm just, can it just be over? Because I kind of feel like giving up. And when we go through situations like this, whether it's stuff that's good or stuff that's difficult, the thing that we want is we want to have people to kind of share that with. People who know what that's like. Nobody wants to give themselves a high five. That's just weird. We want to have somebody to celebrate with. And we also want somebody to share our sorrows. We we want soulmates for the good and the bad and the ugly. And our soulmates lived 2,000 years ago and received this letter from Peter. They have a lot in common with us. They are somewhere they really don't want to be, in a position they're not thrilled about, They really don't have any agency. It's not like they can go to the polls and elect somebody else that's going to make America great again or elect somebody who's going to be able to build back better. They just got nothing. They just got Caesar and that's it. At the best, they're irrelevant. At the worst, they're seen as extreme. And there seems to be no end in sight for this. 63 AD is probably going to look like 64 AD, is probably going to look like 65 AD for these people who are living in what probably is modern day Turkey. 
And so this morning, this passage is going to help us to understand how in the world are we supposed to get through life when it feels so much as though what we deal with is either triumphalism and everything is amazing or despair and we just completely want to give up. How how do we find a center that allows us to move through life in a way that is, shall we call, faithfully present, that gives us the ability to endure kind of in good seasons and out of seasons? And so what we see here is in this passage, what Peter says is he calls them elect exiles. Look at your passage. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So these are people who Peter is saying, listen, I know exactly how you're feeling. You're elect, which is triumphant, it's wonderful, it's amazing, and you're exiles, which is not amazing. And it's hard, and it's difficult, and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. And we ask this question, how can this be? How can these two things go together? And what I want to propose this morning is that the better question is why must this be? Not how can this be, but why must this be? And the reason is this, that a properly grounded identity moves us from triumphalism and despair to grace and peace and allows us to live in a posture of faithful presence. So here's what I want to do. I want to break this up into two parts very quickly. And then I want us to see how this benefits us. So first of all, let's look at how election fits into the paradox, right? Two things that you don't think are supposed to go together that do the paradox of our identity. So in Washington, D.C., election is amazing. People who work in the executive branch are there because they got elected. They got more votes than the other guy. They did that because their campaign was amazing. They were able to raise money because people liked them. They had better ads. Maybe they said, hey, wow, look at how good this person looks. They're amazing and attractive. I believe that amazing and attractive people will definitely be good legislators. Maybe. And they win. And, and when, when the perks of, of being elected is, is you get to be there and you get to make decisions. You're on committees. You get to decide things. You get to appoint people to do other things. Election is awesome. But you don't have to be in Washington, D.C. to experience election. You could be in junior high. You could be outside on the playground. And you could say, hey, let's play a game. Let's play any game at all. It doesn't matter what game it is. And let's pick two people to be captains. Who should they be? I know the most attractive and athletic people should be the two captains. And we're going to let them do something that is life-giving to everybody else. We're going to let them pick teams and alternate back and forth. Who remembers this horrific experience of childhood? 
Kids, look at your parents right now because this is a traumatic moment for all of them, including us. Because here's what you didn't want to be. The last person picked because you weren't fast or you weren't attractive or you're, you, know, you didn't look like everybody else. And so for some folks, election, not awesome. Because it kind of just tells you, you know what? You're not a winner. That's what election does to people. And so here, what Peter is saying is that these people are elect. And he's talking to both Jews and Gentiles that you are elect. This would be like today if I said, not only are there Democrats who are Christians, there are Republicans who are Christians. You see see what I did there? That was a... You didn't think it was going to come out that way, but it did, right? These two things, they, they can't go together. Uh, we understand that Jews are the elect people of God, but you're, you're also now referring to Gentiles? This doesn't make any sense for me. You're somehow counting them with the same blessings. And here's the beauty of election. The entirety of the Trinity is responsible for your election, Maybe you've heard it said that there's really no good verse to go to in the Bible that says that there's a trinity. Well, here's one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, in obedience to Jesus Christ for sprinkling with his blood. I'll take that as a trinity verse any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Because that seems to say that Peter believes that there's a trinity. Because he's referring to it. And the entirety of the Trinity is involved in our election. It says that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the same way that Jesus Christ came for our sins. In Acts 2.23 it says, This Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The same plan that sent Jesus Christ to earth to save us from our sins is the same foreknowledge that makes us elect. The same spirit that sanctifies us is the same spirit that makes us elect. This is what it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and in the sanctification of the Spirit. So some of us are familiar to hearing sanctification and thinking this means like the ongoing process of being better and better and more like Jesus every day, which is true. But sanctification also, also means the being set aside once and forever. And we know this because it says in 1 Corinthians 6, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified in the past tense, you were justified in the past tense in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what he's saying is that yes, Sanctification is something that makes you better and better and better. It's a process that's ongoing, but it starts somewhere. These people have been set apart. They have been elect according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit. Not because of who their mom or dad was. Not because of the score they got on the SAT. Not because of who they knew in Washington. Not because of how much money they had. Not because of who they donated money to. 
not because of how attractive they are. In fact, all of Scripture says that the people that God chose, He chose because they weren't any of those things. You will be hard-pressed to look at Scripture and say, oh, here's multiple examples of God choosing people who were amazing at everything. (laughs) In fact, He goes out of His way to go, yeah, yeah, I, I see... I see the New York Yankees. I do. I see them. I want that kid on the t-ball team right there. That's who I'm picking. Our election has nothing to do with anything we have done or will do. That is the paradox of our election. It happens as an act of grace. Because God loves us and he cares for us. And it happens for obedience to Christ and sprinkling with his blood. So here's why we read this passage in in Exodus. It says that after reading this book of the law, that Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. Kind of a messy day. But this is the ratification of a covenant. Okay, this is them saying, this is my team. I have blood on me so you know that I'm on the same team as you. It's like putting on a jersey. That these people have been elected according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus. They were set apart to obey, to live differently, to live by a different set of ethics in a world that's going to go, why do you do that? Why do you value that thing? That doesn't even make sense what you're valuing. No, you've been, you've been elect to have these ethics, to obey in this way, and for sprinkling with his blood to be a part of a group and a team. And so election, the paradox of our election, is that it actually removes our need, the exhausting need of striving of constantly striving to be accepted, of constantly dropping names, of constantly trying to think, I'm not good enough. People aren't going to accept me if I'm good enough. And listen, kids, I have been in school, I've been in high school, I've been in junior high. It was not awesome. It was not awesome. I remember one time I got invited to this party when I was in, in high school, and I was super excited until I found out that the person who told me that I was invited shouldn't have told me I was invited. And I was told, you should probably just stay home. There's nothing that says, you're not a part of this group, then, hey, you're not invited. It even makes it into a Charlie Brown episode. This is the beauty of election. The paradox of election is that it removes this this striving and it removes the whiplash we get from constantly feeling triumphant because we didn't do anything to deserve it. We did nothing to deserve it. That's the beauty of the paradox of our election. So how how does exile fit into the paradox of our identity? Again, people in Washington know this. I talk to them all the time. Uh, two and a half years ago, Republicans in Congress were thinking life was awesome. They had big committees, big offices. It was great. I was leading multiple Bible studies in various department agencies. And then, instead of making America great again, we decided to build back better. And what that meant is every Republican congressman lost his seat as the chair of the committee he was on. And it meant his big committee, or his big staff, went to a small staff and people got fired. 
Everybody who was working in the executive branch that was appointed lost their jobs. They were exiled. They have to go somewhere and wait for the other party to come back into power so they can get a good job again. Some of you may know what this is like. Some of you may know what this kind of whiplash of election does. Oh, we've got contracts, we've got authority, now not so much. This is what being in exile is. You think, oh, that's, this is not amazing. This is not wonderful. Why, why am I where I don't want to be? Why, why am I here? Well, here's the great part about this. The same trinity that brought you election brings you exile. The same trinity that brought you election brings you exile. Because here's what Peter says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect and exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit and for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. You are exiled. We live as exiles today, waiting to be restored to the relationship we're supposed to have with Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth by the same trinity and in the same way that we are elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It says in Acts 2.23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Something horrible happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And by the sanctification of the Spirit. We've been set apart. We've been placed in exile. Because this is where God wants us. Now that's hard to wrap our heads around. Like we, I can wrap my head around, I'm elect, that's amazing. But wrapping your head around, you've been exiled. And sometimes we're exiled because of things we've done. And sometimes we're exiled because just things happen. And yet, the good news is that the Trinity is just as involved in that. So my wife and I, one time, only one time, left one of our children at church. Unintentionally. Because, you know, we're packing up the church from church planting and we thought we had everything in the car, but we didn't. There was a child that we left. We had to go back. It's pretty embarrassing. And you remember times maybe when you were younger, maybe when you were a kid and you were like maybe in a toy store and you look around and you can't find your parents and it's terrifying and you think, oh no, my parents have left me. I'm lost. I wonder if I will be found. It's, it's a terrifying situation. Here's, here's why having the Trinity just as involved in our election as it is in our exile is important. Because you have not been forgotten where you are. No matter how bad your circumstances are right now, and no matter how long they have been going on, the Lord has not forgotten you. He is completely aware of where you are. He sees you. 
He sees the pain that you are in. He sees the confusion that you have. He sees the fear. He sees the longing. He sees everything. And so when you feel alone in the middle of your exile, wherever that is and however that looks, what you need to know is that you are in this place according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctification of the Spirit. And here's the tough one. And for obedience to Christ and sprinkling with his blood. When we are where we don't want to be, or maybe even where we shouldn't be, we're called to obey. Just like the people were when they were sent from exile, in exile from Israel, which was supposed to be awesome, to Babylon, which was just not great. And maybe they were supposed to say, well, you know, what do you want us to do? You want us to, like, hijack the water system? You want us to, like, try to destabilize the government? What do you want us to do? No, I want you to build houses. I want you to take wives. I want you to plant gardens. Because in their flourishing, you'll find your flourishing. Oh, how long are we going to be here? 70 years. Well, no, wait, that's, I'm going to die here. I, I'm going I'm I'm to die here. Yep, that's, that's what's going to happen. You're, you're not going to see the rescue. And I want you to obey, even when it's hard. And yet we have this little phrase here for sprinkling with his blood. What does this mean? So again, you have to picture this scene. Moses comes down and he reads the law to all of the people. And what do they say? Kids, you know what this is, right? You get caught, you're doing something wrong. Your parents say, no more of that. And what do you say? I'll obey. I will obey. That's what happens here. Moses reads the law and the people say, we will obey every word you have said. That's what they said. And so as a way of kind of ratifying this moment, this covenant, Moses sprinkles blood on them. It's like, okay, we're all in the same contract now. Your words are your bond. How long does that last? Like five minutes. Or... As we learned what last week, Todd said, one one millionth, one billionth of a second before we're sinning again. And so what do we need? Because otherwise we're doomed. We need to know we're going to be redeemed. We need to know we're going to be rescued. And that's what that blood is. See, this isn't the first covenant ceremony. The first covenant ceremony that happens happens in Genesis 15. The word covenant means a contract, like an agreement, like you're shaking hands. But when it happens in Genesis 15, the Lord shows up to Abram and he says, Hey, you and me, we're going to have a contract. I picked you out of all the people for basically, I just decided. Not like you're special or anything. I just picked you. And you and me, we're going to have an agreement. Okay, here's the way this is going to go. You're going to obey everything I say. And I promise that I will always be there for you. Okay, and we have to do this in blood. This is the way they used to do it. And so uh, the Lord tells Moses, hey, go get some pigeons and some birds and some other, you know, some bulls and cut them in half. And what we did, so this was common. This was the way things worked back then. The two kings would hold hands and they would walk through the middle of these spliced apart animals and they would recite the terms of the contract. And what they were effectively saying is if one of us breaks this contract... Let us end up like these split apart animals. That's the way that a covenant worked in the ancient Near East. We have lots and lots of examples of this happening historically. 
So, in Genesis 15, guess who the two people are who walked through these animals? Come on, anybody. This is the interactive part of the sermon. Who are the two people? God and... God and God. God puts Abram to sleep. He's like, hey, you're not going to walk through here. I'm going to walk through here by myself. You know what that means? If I break this covenant, it's on me. If you break this covenant, it's on me. And I will provide the penalty for it. Huh. Well, now that seems like foreshadowing, doesn't it? So when the people say, oh, we'll do everything you say, Moses. Anything he says, we'll do. Sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. Okay, you're in the covenant. And guess what? You're going to need to be rescued. And so in Exodus 24... When these people are hearing these words, what's just happened to them? They've just been rescued from Egypt because God made a covenant to rescue them when they thought they had been forgotten and that no delivery was coming. They got delivered in an epic way because the Lord says, I may exile you, but I promise you I will come back and get you. And we may not know that until we're with God, but his exile is superintended by the Trinity in the same way that our being elect is. And what this does is this removes the ability or the need for us to feel like we just live in despair and hopelessness. It gives us hope. And here's why these two things have to go together. Right? These things go together because these two things when you put them side by side, being elect and being exiled, rescues us from triumph and feeling like we have to make it all happen by ourselves and despair and feeling like there's no hope, even though our situation may go on and on and on and on. That we know that where we are is because of the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. And that allows us to not have triumphalism and despair, but grace and peace. That's what Paul says, or I'm sorry, that's what Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That our job as Christians is not to change the world. Our job as Christians is to receive grace and peace multiplied to ourselves and to proclaim it as being blessed to others. That we proclaim to people who live going back and forth between triumphalism and despair. Hey, you know what's better than that? Grace and peace. And I know how you can have it. Are you done trying to constantly prove yourself, Peter? Are you done constantly trying to show off because you think you're the best wingman ever? You're trying to get noticed by me? Listen, when you're done with that, when you have come to the end of yourself, we can do some wonderful work. This is the message that God had for Peter and that Peter has for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we are both elect and exiles and that you, through the power of the Trinity, have done this both to us and for us. In Christ's name, amen.